Welcome to the Health Advisor Companion Podcast. My name is Jill Weatherall. I'm a partner at DSE Beechcroft. And in today's podcast, we'll be exploring how fears over personal safety, the psychological impact of national lockdowns, and the lingering uncertainty over job security have conspired to create a new wave of financial and mental well-being concerns throughout the population and what the impact of that is on a mental health sector which is also facing significant changes in the year ahead. I'm joined by my colleague Anna Hart who's a fellow partner in our health care and public law team. Anna, I hesitate to suggest that we're coming out of the other side of the pandemic, but given where we are now and looking back at the events of the last year, what are your reflections on the impact of the pandemic so far on health and social care providers, and particularly those who look after some of the most vulnerable in our society? Thanks, Jill. And yes, hello, everybody. I'm really glad to be here today. Undoubtedly, Jill, it's been a really difficult and unprecedented year for all of us, but for the health and social care sector in particular. And first and foremost, I think we need to recognise that and recognise the strength and resilience shown by all providers in the sector. I think that was one of the few positive legacies that this year has left, and we're all grateful for that. In terms of challenges for the sector, well, there's been so many, um, too many to cover in this short discussion. Um, But from the early days in terms of understanding the virus through that period of trying to obtain and use PPE correctly and for many providers not knowing whether they're going to have enough PPE to see them through the days ahead and what impact that would have on their staff and service users. Through managing isolation requirements which of course changed over the period and that's you know isolation requirements for staff and also for patients which if we think of it in a mental health setting is not at all straightforward in terms of helping those patients and service users understand the isolation requirements and working with them for them to cooperate and to be able to comply with those requirements. And through now to getting somewhere close to trying to find a new normal or certainly to find strategies for dealing with what start to feel like long-term challenges in terms of managing the pandemic over the years and months ahead. And some of those will be persistent and require a slightly different way of thinking for providers. One of those key challenges, I think, certainly has to be around managing the impact on staff. As you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, the psychological well-being of staff, but also the practical and operational aspect of managing staff. Of course, service providers normally will consider themselves focusing on providing a safe, well-led, effective health and social care service as set out by the CQC requirement. That's difficult at the best of times, but when you're operating in an environment where you are struggling to get enough staff to be on your service because of their own personal concerns or ill health, it's a really, really acute challenge. We've had lots of examples of clients talking to us to try and get the right balance around, um, we need to continue operating our service. We've got vulnerable service users who need us to provide care and treatment to them but we're really struggling to find enough staff to do that in the way that we would normally choose to operate. And having to navigate that balance of managing a service in a different way, perhaps in a more stretched way than they usually would, but being able to, of course, maintain the safety and well-being of everybody, both staff and service users alike. 
From a provider perspective, they have been under pressure on that front, both in terms of obviously the operational aspects we've just talked about, but also commissioners and regulators taking an interest in ensuring the long-term sort of sustainability of services during such a difficult period. CQC as a regulator has been interested in COVID management issues, and that's something that providers have had to really take into consideration in terms of how they justify operating in the way that they have. So that's been a challenge over the last 12 months. I think it's a continuing challenge for many providers and looking at some really creative and innovative solutions to that. And how has the CQC responded to the pandemic and where are we now in terms of their changing approach to the regulation of health and social care services? What's coming next on that front? So at the start of the pandemic, the CQC, I think, took a bit of a step back. They withdrew from doing their usual in-person inspections, and that had a really mixed response from providers. Many were grateful of the headspace and the ability to get on and, and deal with the urgent issues. But of course, others have said, do you know what, during that period, we were working at our absolute best. We were going above and beyond, and we really wanted the opportunity to be recognised for that. So that was an interesting period and now CQC are coming back and have restarted their inspections and it's very clear that as part of the inspection process now that questions around COVID management are front and centre in that inspection framework. We've seen lots and lots of inspection reports now that comment on it and that can be anything from straightforward cleaning regimes, access to PPE, through to staff training, service user support. And through to those more complex issues, which I think interface with the staffing point I was mentioning a moment ago around the issues that aren't directly COVID, but are impacted by COVID. So, for example, maintaining observation levels on service users when you haven't got as many staff in the services you would like or ensuring the safety of premises. And of course, CQC don't regulate staff safety per se. That's the role of the health and safety executive. And and they too have been much more active in the sector over the last 12 months than we have seen in recent times. But CQC do comment on staff issues as part of their normal inspection process. And we've seen a lot of commentary in reports, as I've mentioned. And of course, they become public documents shared with well, anybody who cares to read them on CQC's own website, but often also proactively shared with commissioners and sometimes service users to see how their particular service is performing. And so CQC have rolled on through the process. And when they came back to doing inspections, they used something called the Emergency Support Framework, which was their sort of initial step back into providing support to service operators and providers during the beginning of the pandemic. And now that's rolling through to a period of consultation on what CQC inspection and enforcement will look like going forward. So I think there's still some significant change ahead. Okay, thanks, Anna. So that gives us interesting insight into how CQC have managed over the last year or 15 months or so. What's next in terms of how CQC are going to respond in terms of the management of providers in this sector? So CQC have recently issued um, consultation papers in relation to their strategy for the next five years or so. And they talk in there in great detail around changing the inspection regime a very deliberate move away from the comprehensive in-person inspections that we've seen and become so accustomed to and to becoming a more data-driven and responsive regulator, which means greater flow of information to and fro between the regulator and providers at greater frequency. And they say greater agility and transparency in being able to adjust ratings and commentary for providers. 
that all sounds really positive. I think particularly when we look at some of the challenges that providers have had in dealing with CQC inspections and the large reliance that there currently is on inspectors' own judgment and experience during an inspection, which is often at the very heart of those situations where we find that the provider feels the need to challenge their inspection report or doesn't agree with or doesn't recognise some of its findings. So anything that is more data-driven, I think, needs to be welcomed, at least in, in principle, in terms of ensuring greater transparency of inspection. There's not much detail yet in terms of CQC's intentions, though. The documents we've seen so far are very system level, high level proposals. So there's a lot of work to be done in terms of understanding where they're going and how that will work in practice. And I'm sure there are many providers keeping a very close eye on that. And of course, we also have to factor in that as well as their own systems changes that CQC will be affected by changes under the Health and Social Care Bill and their increased regulatory scope in terms of who they will be asked to regulate within the health and social care system and also of course the much-awaited long-anticipated social care funding reform which the government is telling us will still be forthcoming at some point this year. Exactly what that is and what extent of change it will bring we're not sure but it's very much on the horizon and at the forefront of minds of many social care providers providers that I speak with. So Jill, I'm interested in your views in terms of the broader sector, as well as where we've come from and, and how CQC have responded. Um, it's a busy time more generally. So from your perspective, what else is on the horizon for providers, particularly those providing mental health services and support? Yes, thanks, Anna. I think the very significant challenge is that in addition to everything you've described in terms of health and social care providers responding to the pandemic, everything else doesn't stop. So when we start to look ahead, and of course we still have all of the challenges of managing COVID, health and social care providers who are dealing with patients and service users with mental health needs also have significant legal and policy changes on the horizon which they're going to have to manage in conjunction with continuing to deal with the aftermath of the pandemic, both in terms of the impact of that on their patient groups, but also on their staff. So some of the, the big issues which are coming down the line for them are the Mental Health Act white paper, also the Liberty Protection Safeguards, and we can have a think about what the practical implications of those will be. So what we're hearing anecdotally from the health and social care clients that we talk to and that's in different parts of the health economy, from children and adolescent services to care for the elderly to the more acute services, is the significantly growing demand, which is fueled partly by the pandemic itself. So individuals who, as a result of difficult health or social or economic circumstances, are going to be looking for more health and social care support as a direct result. And the providers are going to need to find the resource staff and otherwise to, to respond to that. So when we think about some of the specific changes that are coming up, they also have resource implications. We've got the Mental Health Act white paper, which will have very real changes for those providers that detain patients under the Mental Health Act. And many health and social care providers will use that legislation, at least for some of their patient or service user group. Under the new legislation, there'll be very real changes about how and on what basis people can be detained. And the logic behind that is the widely accepted 
desire to ensure that the numbers of those detained is reduced and people are only detained in circumstances where that's absolutely essential. And the legislation is going to change to effectively tighten up some of the criteria as to in what circumstances people can have their liberty restricted in that way. And that's fine. But although the aim of more people living comfortably in the community outside of the institutionalised setting of a hospital, it is, of course, admirable. It again brings us back to that resourcing point, because that only works whatever you do with the law that only works if the resourcing and the community options are there to allow people to live safe and fulfilled lives in community settings. And what we hear, again, anecdotally, but on a very regular basis, is that often the reason people are in hospital is because there is no alternative, not because there's any difficulty in terms of the legal frameworks. There are other issues which arise out of the Mental Health Act, which providers are going to have to think about as we move forward in terms of changes to tribunal process and the role of the nearest relative, which will be replaced by the nominated person. So some some technical changes, which again, in addition to being important from a legal perspective, are just going to have significant resource and learning implications in terms of providers ensuring that they're up to speed. And what sits alongside the mental health legislation change or proposed changes are the liberty protection safeguards, which, as things stand, we are still expecting somewhere around April 2022, albeit the detail is, is yet to materialise. And again, that will have real implications for providers in replacing what everybody is familiar with, which is the deprivation of liberty safeguards. So we'll have a completely new system, a new process of assessments new statutory individuals involved in that assessment of who should be deprived of their liberty, but perhaps more importantly in terms of scope and remit and the implications for providers, there are three key changes there. So firstly, the LPS will apply to 16 and 17 year olds, which they didn't previously, and because of that, providers and all of those involved in looking after adolescents in that bracket will need to be comfortable about how the new legal frameworks are going to work. Secondly, the LPS will apply in domestic settings. So whereas there have been difficulties in the past because you couldn't apply the deprivation of liberty safeguards in a community setting, usually without court involvement, now it will be possible to use that framework in the context of community homes. But again, that requires the understanding of the teams and the healthcare providers involved ensuring that those individuals are properly looked after, but that their care is done in a way which complies with all the legal and regulatory requirements. And then finally, in terms of resources, which health and social care bodies are responsible for what will in itself change quite significantly. So we'll have NHS trusts as the responsible body for most people in hospital. We'll have CCGs involved for those that are receiving continuing health care in the community. And we'll have local authorities responsible for the independent hospital sector. So again, those bodies that are taking on new responsibilities under the LPS will need to understand those responsibilities, will need to ensure that their staff are properly trained and appreciate what their role within that framework will be. And they will need to ensure that their governance arrangements properly reflect what their part will be in in the new processes. There's an awful lot on the horizon for those providers in the health and social care sector who deal with mental health 
issues for some of their patient and service user groups. So just as they're coming out, hopefully, of the other side of the pandemic, there's also an awful lot to be conscious of, aware of, and be thinking ahead for to make sure that they can keep up with the pace of change in this part of the sector. Thanks, Jill. It certainly does sound like there's a lot yet to come in terms of what providers need to deal with over the next 12 months or so. I think that brings us to the end of our podcast for today. You can keep in touch with our content at our website at www.dacbeachcroft.com health advisor. And that will provide you with the latest insight, foresight and some thought-provoking articles for all health and social care professionals working in this area.